Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have Bernard Newman, the VP of Strategy and Business Development with MCP Enterprise, join the show. Bernard, how are you doing today? Doing well, Griffin. Thanks so much for uh, having me and us. Uh, we're really looking forward to providing what we hope will be some content for your listeners that will bring some value as we look at uh uh, uh, an area that's uh, growing, in fact, this year. I'll point to some of those examples, but uh, this uh, issue of mail threats hasn't gone away, so I'll talk a little bit about that today as well. So thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. And uh, this is, I could say safely say that this is the first time I've had someone on where we're going to be talking about the mail room in as much detail as we are. And uh, you're the guy that is the expert in the industry. And I know we just happened to come across each other at a, a conference here uh, with, for me, I was there for a facilathon and uh, stumbled across you. And we just got to chatting about what you do. And uh, here we are. And now we're going to be chatting and talking to the audience about um, the mail room, safety, best practices there, and uh, it's something that I knew in the back of my mind was important, but not to the level uh, that you have brought uh, to my attention there. And uh, frankly, I, I think of mail room instances, you know, way back in the past and not something that's co as common as it is today, which we'll certainly talk to. But before we get into the, the weeds there, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you actually do and how you got into facilities management. Sure, well, thank you for that. Um, so a long-term uh, facilities guy, uh, had a, a stint with a little company called CB Richard Ellis. I uh, have responsibility across North America for managed services, facilities management, outsourcing, putting our people on site to manage all of those things that uh, have to do with running the buildings. Um, to include office services as well, uh, things like the mailroom, the print shops, the central receiving operations, the logistics, material movement, getting things pushed from point A to point B. And um, obviously, uh, along with that, uh, a rather sizable amount of experience across both the public and private sector since we had higher education, government entities, large corporations, some middle market companies as well. So uh, lots and lots of experience in all of those spaces. And the one common thread is that all of those folks have mailrooms. Yeah, and, and that's something where you look at all the different industries you've touched and it's like, well, what's the common theme there? And similar to facilities management, right? It covers such a wide spectrum of responsibilities. And in your experience, it covers a wide spectrum of industries and types of buildings. But you're absolutely right. The mailroom is the, the one cons constant there. What drew you to the mailroom and getting into this world of, of best practices within security and mail? Well, interestingly enough, uh, again, used to work for a company called Pitney Bowes. And so, you know, all things mail, inbound and outbound and central receiving, 
was part of a training team that um, uh, got involved in some, some consulting work with some government entities like the Centers for Disease Control, some microsystems and many other organizations so some time ago. And back when the anthrax uh, threats happened, we got engaged with several organizations whom I won't name at this point, but we consulted with them to help them with uh, best practices and what kind of technologies and setting up a command center to answer questions that their uh, stakeholders and constituents had around what do we do if. And so that was kind of the start of my further path to talk with folks at the FBI and the Postal Inspectors Unit at uh, the United States Postal Service. Uh, those are federal agents, gun carrying, um, uh, uh, arresting folks who handle all kinds of mail, mail frauds, whether it's drugs or theft or suspicious items. Mm -hmm. And so that, those early stage engagements started me thinking about the industry and this topic that is little known until you hear about an incident. And so we decided to then start putting some of these things in writing and going out and speaking at places like IFMA, the National Postal Forum, uh, NACUS, which is the National Association of College Auxiliary Services and other places to kind of get the word out there that your mailroom is a point of entry mm -hmm. and should be a very secure place where you limit access to both people and stuff, whether it's mail, letters, boxes, pallets, everything that comes into those areas could, could potentially be a threat to your facility as well as your people. So that's kind of the origins of how all that got started. Yeah, and you mentioned anthrax, and that's probably what most people think of, and I'm sure that's the first question people ask you is uh, that being you know the beginning of your career there, or I guess the uh, most well-known uh, period of your career and with mail security. But uh, when we got to talk in you mentioned a lot of instances in the more recent history that not many people may be aware of. Uh, one in particular, there's multiple instances with HBCUs and how it impacted their ongoing operations. And I know uh, in the political world, that's always a scare and it's a threat that's been pretty consistent over time. So I'm, I want you to tell the audience a little bit more about what you told me on more of the recent uh, opportunities or, or recent scares in those different industries. Yeah, I'll point to three different things. So first, in 2020, uh, I mentioned the United States Postal Service Inspector's Office. Uh, they reported more than 262,000 um, suspicious items that were brought to them to be forensically analyzed. Uh, of those items, more than 2,600 of them actually had real um, uh, harmful items. So uh, there's a terminology in our business called CBRNE. So that's chemical, radiological, biological, explosive, and nuclear. And so of all of those kinds of things, whether it's a liquid, a powder, uh, a chemical of some kind that could do harm to people, like fentanyl. You know, to the touch, it's very harmful. There's other airborne powders that can't be detected that once they get into your uh, atmosphere, 
They can be very harmful to, um, to people and to items, clothing, um, and into your air ventilation systems, et cetera. And so there's technologies for those kinds of things, but those are, those are kind of some of the starts. So that was in 2020. Um, and then fast forward a little bit to last year, there were 60 mail bomb threats to the HBCUs. Um, some of them, in fact, right here in Atlanta, Spelman had more than one. And so those kinds of things, when they happen to uh, colleges and universities or to businesses, can lead to evacuations. Um, obviously, the uh, press got a hold of that. Uh, parents were up in arms. Students didn't want to show up to the campus, and you can't blame them. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the investigative teams came in. Many of the schools were evacuated for several days while they did uh, search of the buildings and the cafeteria areas and, and so forth. So those are two incidents, and I mentioned three. Most recently, just last month in June of 2023, there were three incidents in Kansas City and in Tennessee um, where some politicians, local congressmen, were threatened and sent suspicious items. And so the postal inspectors, the FBI, um, were involved in the investigations and two of them are ongoing, so I won't talk too much about them, but the third uh, actually led to an arrest. Uh, They've identified him, the Kansas City um, incident in particular, um, it's already been published now, so a gentleman named Victor Rodriguez Kessel uh, allegedly, I have to say, right? Um, but he's, he's already been convicted and will be now serving some 15 years in federal prison for uh, his involvement in those incidents. So uh, the inspectors are still at it. These things are not just things that happened 10, 20 years ago. They're still happening. And so, again, the good news is that there are uh, best practices like the one we issued uh, in April uh, there are a number of publications and sources like the FBI and Postal Inspector's Office, Homeland Security, who have published documents to help people to realize that, hey, if you do have something, the best way to handle it is now, proactive, right. not after the fact. Yeah, and that's you know a common theme in facilities, being proactive, not reactive here. But, you know, if... I want to take a step back and put myself in the shoes of a listener that may not be in government and they may not be managing a facility that would be the, I guess, the more quote unquote obvious um, industry or facility that may receive this type of threat or package. I would imagine that of the 2600 that you alluded to that actually led to or that an issue was actually confirmed it wasn't just those government agencies. I'm assuming that it was across different industries, correct? Yeah, across different industries. Uh, again, you think about the HBCU incident. You know, there were no politicians involved there. Mm-hmm. Um, someone just so it could be a social issue, um, whether it's Black Lives Matter or this happened to be right at the heart of Black History Month. Mm-hmm. So someone decided to target specifically the HBCUs for whatever their reasons are, you know, bad actors often have their own reasons for doing that. So no, politicians are not the only ones who are targets. Um, Someone targeted a hospital, Um, you know, who would do that? But, you know, people who are uh, 
in a hospital for care who can't get away from the hospital, not to mention the nurses and the doctors. Um, so you just never know when these things are going to hit. And uh, again, the best, uh, the best medicine for that is uh, proactivity. Uh, yep. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I bring that up because it is something that we should all be aware of and we should all be proactive in preventing this. And so for the listener out there, I mean, what are some measures that one could take to be proactive to make sure that type of incident, uh, one, if it does pop up, you know exactly what to do. But in the ideal scenario, you have the, the plan in place and the, um, you know, you've gone through the best practices to prevent it from in, in the first place. Yeah, well, there's a couple of key things. I'll hit on a few, and, and again, it's we elaborate on that in our article. Which, if you, you know, I don't know if you're going to post that later, but we'll. That'll certainly... be in the show notes. Yep. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so first, if you get something at your um, at your facility, again, whether you're a college campus or a hospital or a government building or a major corporation, doesn't matter. Wherever you are. The first step is to isolate. Do not touch the item, treat it like a porcupine, get away from it. Uh, so that's first, don't touch it, don't move it. Uh, secondly, you make sure that all of the people who work in that area, mailroom people, uh, logistics, central receiving, shipping dock, get away from the item. Uh, again, some of these things that are airborne, they uh, don't have a smell to it, you cannot see it, so get people away from it. All right, so you, you've covered quite a bit uh, on what we could be do, what we could do to be more proactive here. And something in particular you mentioned that piqued my interest is the different technology that you could use and leverage to be proactive. And then also when, if, and when that situation does arise, how to properly. Uh, evaluate and handle the situation. And so talk to me a little bit more about the different technologies that are currently being utilized and then looking ahead, how you view the industry and the technologies in the industry changing. Yeah, so there are five common technologies that are out there. Uh, first and probably most known by most people is a glove box. It's uh, exactly what it sounds like. You've seen it in many movies. You take both of your arms and put it inside of this box with protective gloves, and it allows you to turn an envelope and uh, look at it and have a air draft system uh, then kind of detect what's inside. Uh, those are recommended for more advanced situations after you've already determined that it's not explosive because earlier we said don't touch it. So once you've now determined that it is okay to touch it, if it's a liquid of some kind, that's when you use a glove box. So I wanted to start there because that's a, uh, a key piece. Um, then there are handheld scanners, probably one of the more perfect ways of uh, detecting something. The scanner uses various types of technologies from T-ray to millimeter wave to micromillimeter and all kinds of other very technical terminologies, but it's a handheld device that allows you to scan through the item again and tell if it's a tripwire or if there's some kind of explosive there. So all kinds of technologies there from lots of different companies um, that uh, are very effective. Uh, and then you've got cabinets. 
cabinets, again, are going to require, once you've determined that it's not something that's going to explode upon movement, you can put it inside and it's a containment unit that then um, has various types of low density um, analysis things that it does to determine mostly very, very low density things like liquids and powders. So the granularity of something, fentanyl, a light powder like an anthrax, it uh, does a very good job with those kind of things. And then there are um, conveyors like what you would see with someone like a Smith's Detection or a VOTI um, or a Todd's Research, various companies that make those kinds of things. And we've got partnerships with some of those companies as well. And so it's an x-ray unit very much like what you see at the airport. Uh, it's a conveyor system. It uh, takes the item from point A, stops it, analyzes it, does a 3D image of it. And then once it's determined that it's, there's nothing harmful there, it then uh, exits the item and then it sends it on its way. And then lastly, I uh, have to talk about our key partner, which is RaySecure. And they make the mail secure system, which uses a unique T-Ray technology. And so it's millimeter waves. So it does these waves through the item and determines again, what is it? Is it a chemical, radiological, biological, explosive, nuclear? All of those kinds of things are done with this very, very great technology. And in fact, one of the reasons we chose to partner with them is they're one of the few companies that has a uh, designation from Homeland Security. Uh, their equipment's been certified. Not all of them have. So uh, that's another technology. So those five are the common, commonly used technologies that are out there for folks to uh, determine and detect uh, a threat in the mailroom. Where do you see it going? Because uh, I imagine that I mean you are wanting to stay ahead of this. You want to use the state-of-the-art technology. Uh, where do you see technology in this space you know, taking us? Well, I think the technologies, uh, quite frankly, are 50, 60 years old. These are not new technologies. So they've been around for a while. Mm -hmm. I, I think we'll probably continue to see that. But what's missing, actually, is um, not the technology, but what's missing is the practice. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have the technology. And, you know, I talked to a gentleman uh, with an organization, a federal agency, and he, uh, obviously, I won't mention who it is, but he said, uh, we're talking about this. And I said, well, where is it located? And he said, well, we've already got the technology. It's in our lobby. And so my team and I paused because that's the last place that you'd want to put the technology in the lobby of a building. So if there's something that happens, explosives go up and out and sideways, you know, there goes some part of your building. And right. not only that, but that's the entry point for all the employees and the contractors and visitors. Mm -hmm. So it's really in the practices. And that's one of the reasons, again, we wrote the article is to say, make sure that you include the practices, the communication protocols inside of your plan and get the technology. So it's not just one thing. It's not either or. It's both and. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, technology, you can't just purchase it and say you're good to go. You actually have to use it and leverage it to its fullest capabilities there. And like you mentioned, it's uh, establishing those best, best practices and you know, putting it into play. So uh, right. absolutely love that. And, and Bernard, I, I have one last question I ask everybody that comes on the show, and that is who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? Wow. 
Uh, believe it or not, there are two people. Um, Dean Graciosa, uh, who I found through uh, connecting with Tony Robbins. You know, you have to pay yeah. to talk to Tony directly. And so I decided to pay and had access to those folks. And, uh, you know, before I go further, I'm sure somebody's going to say, oh, my gosh, not another one of those motivator guys. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, when we're all trying to find our way in our branding and our careers, I think it's great to have mentors and people that you talk to to say, hey, somebody's already done this. Let me not try to figure it out. Go talk with them. So it would be Dean more than Tony because I had more access to Dean. Um, but just inspiring with all the things that he's done, the thought process of business and personal life and the, the whole work-life balance issue. So got awesome nuggets from, from uh, talking with him. And, uh, and then, of course, my mom. You know, thankfully, uh, at 93 years old, she's still around. And I'm inspired by uh, the fact that she is who she was, raising a young man uh, in Philadelphia on her own, largely, and helping to make and shape me into who I am today. So those are the two most inspiring people that I can point to. That's great. And uh, I don't know if she's a listener of the, the show or not, but she'll have to certainly tune into this one with the, with the shout out there. <laughs> but uh, once again, Bernard, this has been incredible to have you on and talk uh, and bring your expertise to the show about a topic that frankly isn't talked about enough. And so uh, I'm glad you're able to come on the show and really talk to the importance of it. Uh, some d different uh, best practices that listeners can deploy there. And uh, like I said, very much appreciated to have you on. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I'd love to come back on again. We've got other topics that we're going to go after here in terms of workplace uh, solutions and the whole return to work. Uh, we've got a number of people that want to weigh in in um, a session that we're going to do at, uh, at one of the Cornet and IFMA events. So uh, once we complete that, um, there's going to be a lot of very good content and I think conclusions around you know, where are we headed? Are we headed for a four-day work week? Are we headed for forget about Fridays or into or Monday? So I'm going to draw from all that expertise and soak it up, and I'll come back and let you know what we come up with. And uh, um, so I'd love to come back on again, and hopefully this is this has been something of value for uh, for your listeners. Absolutely. And uh, for all those listening that are interested in learning more, I'm going to have uh, links to the relevant information that we've talked through in the show notes and uh, as well as your contact information. And of course, I'm going to blast that out on LinkedIn. Uh, so anyone that's interested, feel free to reach out to Bernard. But once again, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show and uh, talking about everything facilities management. And until next time, be good. Thank you, Griffin. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.